Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to Tailgates O'May. I'm your host, Stephen Gorgie, and I'm joined for another episode by Brian Kaufman. We have a packed show for you today between week zero and our G5 preview. But first, a reminder, you can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, Google, and more. And if you like the show, we'd love if you leave us a five-star review. So let's get into some football. Brian, the season's kind of started. How you doing? I'm doing great. I would say the season officially started we're we're questioning scott frost it feels like home again uh nebraska choking away a game college football is officially back as soon as that happens i don't know if i thought it was going to happen in week zero but it it definitely did so yeah feeling good excited games are back it was fun even though you know in the grand scheme of things it wasn't the grandest uh week zero schedule still fun to just be back be back on the tv Yeah, so we did have football, so let's start there. And I guess the game of the day, if you will, was the Northwestern Nebraska game from Ireland. Northwestern wins 31-28. Depending where you you look, depending where you how early you got it, uh Nebraska was about a two touchdown favorite in that game, just under a two touchdown favorite, and they lose yet another one score game. Scott Frost 0-1 again before the season even hits week one for the second consecutive year, 0-1 overall, 0-1 in the division, 0-1 in the conference. So not a great start for Nebraska. Um, Man, it's just like, it's hard to get the words out about them because it's like, what... What what can you say about them every year? It's the same thing. And I, I think a lot of people, myself included, thought this year was going to be a little bit different. And for a good chunk of that game, you know, it kind of did look like things were going to be different. But then it turned just like it always does. Um for me, the that turning point was the onside kick, the failed onside kick. They went up. What were they up? 11, 11 when they did that? Yeah, up yeah. 11. They looked like they were really about to take control of that game. And then it was like, it almost felt like when it happened, Scott Frost was like, we've heard everybody talk all year and all offseason about how we didn't have a special teams coordinator. And now we do. And we're going to show off about it. <laughs> There's a time and a place for that move. I just think like, in you know thinking sanely the negative potential just far outweighed the positive potential of of making that call so i look i i like the idea of trying to step on the throat there and 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 make a point and say yeah we're here but you you can't do it they were down at half they also scored the touchdown leading up to the onside kick off of a Northwestern fumble on the first play of their possession, Northwestern was doing enough to show that like, they're going to lose the game. Like they're already stepping on their own throat. And then after that, after the onside kick, which failed, Nebraska had six possessions, punt, punt, pick, punt, punt, pick 
Only one lasted longer than four plays. They took all the momentum out of their own hands when they they didn't need to. You you like it. Like I said, the, the negative just far outweighs the positive there. And I'm well aware that maybe we're we're calling Scott Frost a genius if they recover it and punch it in for a touchdown. But that's what it is. It's like you you don't need it in that moment. It 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 was unnecessary. Just get, go get a defensive stop. Northwestern's not running. They just turned the ball over. So yeah, I I I got to do some mental gymnastics to back up the call. I I like the idea of going for the kill shot there, but I just it it's not worth it. And they they saw why. No, there's a difference between going for it on fourth and one from your own thirty and going for it from your fifty, right? And there's a huge difference between those two things. And I feel like. That's what we're talking about here. And what he did at that point in the game is more like going for it on fourth and one from your own 30. And it was just, it was unnecessary. They looked like their offense was was rolling. And they looked like if they continue to just keep going the way they were, they could win the game. The only way Northwestern was going to win that game is if they gave them a reason to get back into it. If they gave them a reason to believe themselves believe in themselves and lo and behold that's exactly what they did they gave them the ball in good field position they went right down and scored and that's what you can't do against Northwestern Northwestern under Pat Fitzgerald is always the team it's like they're not gonna just they can't just go out and beat you you know best on best right Mm -hmm. If, if both teams play a perfect game they're not gonna win and Nebraska said, here you go, Northwestern. Here's your chance to to get back into this thing. And Pat Fitzgerald and Northwestern said, thank you very much. We're going to we're gonna take that. So it's just, I, I don't know. Like, I'm upset for Nebraska and for Nebraska fans because it's like, this is just a fan base that they just want to be mediocre so badly they just want to go to a bowl game if they went to a bowl game how many people do you think would go to like the i don't know one of the good but not great florida bowl games that the big 10 is a part of yeah like a december 30th bowl game they they send thirty thousand people (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah and like you said it's just it, it, it was a here you go moment that didn't have to be one so if we were talking about Casey Thompson making a boneheaded pass and, and, and it's a pick and like, man, that stinks. It's like, you know, I, I get it, but they just like added another opportunity to the wheel of ways to give the game away that didn't have to be part of it. It didn't have to even be factored in. And so, yeah, I I think it's well said, just like third quarter of that game, you're thinking, okay, it took them a minute, bit of a slower start. Didn't think it might be particularly close at half, but here they come. They look good. They got some guys, and they just they couldn't get it done. They couldn't get it done. So, Brian, Nebraska gave up 214 rushing yards to Northwestern, 314 through the air. That's over 500 total yards in the game, 31 points. That's the thing that really stood out to me was – I mean, North. I, I just don't expect Northwestern to, to move the ball like that and score like that. So, to you, was this a was this a matter of maybe Northwestern's offense is a little better than we thought, or is Nebraska's defense just worse than we thought? I mean, it's cop out, but it's probably a little bit of both, right? I mean, uh, like I I thought Ryan Holinsky did some nice things, and and you know that 
they haven't been had a, a real dude like that under center in a minute, and maybe he's better than we gave him credit for. But you got to go out there and get some stops. And it's like you said, like Northwestern, I, I was listening to another college football podcast. They were giving out picks, and basically it was just like, Northwest, there's not going to be a backdoor cover for Northwestern because they're not going to like score a bunch of points at the end to keep it close, right? If they're getting blown out, you don't expect that to happen. You'd really, so I, I think it, I do think it is more of like a Nebraska really underperforming on defense, but credit where it's due, right? You can still have to seize the opportunities if you're Northwestern and, it, and they did a great job of doing that. Yeah, credit. I give them credit as well. Like, I mean, a win's a win, a division game, a conference game, that's a win. And that's a really good win for them. But it is, is just hard for me to look through this game than any other lens of, I mean, we. I watched Northwestern last year. I Even when Northwestern's really good, which they are basically every other year, their offense is nothing to write home about. And I mean, for Nebraska, Nebraska had no sacks, one quarterback hurry and two tackles for loss. I mean, that's just not good enough. It's it's not good enough. And I think playing in the big 10 West, if there's one thing you don't want to be, it's bad at stopping the run. And if this, if this Nebraska run defense is going to be like this all year, they're going to be in for a very long season. And Scott Frost is going to be long gone. I think you're right. I think you're right. I mean, and, and, yeah, it doesn't. I mean, they got Oklahoma in the non-con. Like, it could get ugly pretty quick. Uh, and and it's funny what one game can do for what you're thinking about a season. But I I do think, and you were you were on this, but you were far from alone in like, hey, Nebraska got a shot to to look like at least a competent team this year. It looks a lot more likely that it's another massively underperforming season than some eight win surprise. And just because of this that they came out here and showed us they're not ready to do that. You know, I was really big on like, they lost a lot of close games, one score games. It's going to even itself out. I'm completely off that now. They, they have done it to themselves and I knew they did it to themselves a lot. Like I watched those games. I, I knew what happened in those games, but I thought it was something they might be able to fix. And at this point to me, it's just, it's not something that is, it's not luck. It's not regression. It's, it's there is something inherent about this team, the way it's constructed, the way Scott Frost coaches, whatever it is, whatever. I don't know exactly what it is, but there is something inherent with why they can't win close games. And it's not a fluke anymore. It's, it's, I think it is something about this team. It's because, and it's because they don't make plays when it matters most. And, I feel like we go through all of the off season and we talk so much about returning production and this and close games and that, and you know, all these things that are not like they are football related, but they're not football. And then when you see a football game and you see, Oh yeah. When you turn the ball over, it matters, right? Like we don't talk mm-hmm. about turnovers and taking care of the ball a whole lot during the off season, but those are things that are critical to winning football games. And those are the things that Nebraska just does not do. And they did not do. They made bad decisions. They couldn't stop the run and they turned the ball over. It's not a recipe for winning at any level of football. So I feel like it was a nice reminder that game of, yeah, this is college football and a 13 point dog can go win, 
you know, any given Saturday. And if you don't take care of the football, you're going to lose. If you make bad decisions, you're going to lose. If you don't stop the run, you're going to lose. So I feel like it was a really nice reminder, week zero, first game of the year, to be like, yes, this is, it's not all about what's on paper. It's not all about who's returning. It's not all about, you know, they lost a lot of close games last year. They're going to bounce back and win the close games this year. I like it. I like it. I think it's well said. And and returning production or plus or minus turnovers the year before, and none of it matters if you don't go out there and do and and do those things. And it is funny in the offseason to look at those things as as um, you know indicators of future performance. And then you call for an onside kick when you go up eleven and you have your foot on their throat. And it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> nobody really knows. And like, maybe there's just something going on there. So I think you're onto something there. And, and I think Nebraska fans, uh, I, I feel for him too. What else you got from, from week zero, some other relatively interesting things going on. UConn covered. They never cover. I, UConn not only covered, UConn was up 14, nothing in this game early. And there was, you know, UConn, UConn, uh, to the playoff tweets going out, no matter how tongue in cheek it may be. But, um, you know, looking at the, I, I thought yesterday was kind of a bad day for the mountain West and we're going to do our G five preview today and get into it a little bit, but, uh, UConn, went up 14 nothing early on defending Mountain West champion Utah State. Utah State did come back, win, put things together, won by 11, but then Illinois beat Wyoming 38 to 6. And look, I mean I know it's a Big 10 Mountain West game and Wyoming's at the bottom of that conference, but Illinois doesn't beat a lot of a lot of teams 38 to 6 very often. So I feel like the bottom of the Mountain West might not be great this year. It might be a little worse than we're used to. Not to say that Utah State is uh, is one of those bottom teams. They're defending champs. But Wyoming, that Wyoming team, I think is really bad. And then Nevada also, they got a win yesterday, but they they won by 11 over New Mexico State. And that's a team that I'm, I have a, a season wins under play on that we'll talk about that a little bit later. But New Mexico State, I mean, they've been one of the worst teams in football for the past couple of years. Jerry Kill is back, or not back, he's now took over as their head coach. You know, really good, successful track record as a head coach. But I'm a little bit worried about the bottom of the Mountain West between Wyoming and uh, between Wyoming and Nevada. So that kind of stood out to me. Other thing that stood out to me yesterday was North Carolina. I still don't trust. I still don't trust their their defense at all. Um, that game was they they kind of they played around a little bit. I think in the third at the end of the third quarter, it was a thirty five twenty four against Florida A and M. And this is a Florida A and M team that the game almost didn't get played because they had seven offensive linemen. They only had seven offensive linemen. So the fact that that game was that close in the third quarter and they gave up 24 points through, um, through three quarters, uh, that was, that was concerning to me. And that's been the thing with North Carolina under Mac Brown, they, the defense just isn't there. And I don't know that Gene Chizik coming in was really the answer. Like, I, I think there's a lot better options out there than, than Gene Chizik. And then I got one final big picture thought for you on week zero. Yes. Ready for this? I'm ready. So I kind of thought, Brent, like as I was watching these games, it kind of made me think that this whole week zero situation 
kind of embodies everything that's wrong with college football right now in the fact that there's nobody looking out for the best interest of college football. So like if we're going to have to have week zero, which we are because TV channels want inventory, like, can we just do it right? Why, why do we go into college football season with such a little, like we just limp into the football season. It's like, Hey, here's this slate of games. It's like, not very exciting, but you all are a bunch of degenerates. So <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna watch it because it's football. Like, uh, how is that in college football's best interest? And it's like nobody is looking out for the best interest of college football. So if I was the college football commissioner, what I would do is I would try to do something exciting. I try to do something to you know maybe showcase some teams you don't usually get to see, but not like in a weird not like in in the games that we're seeing right now, like Vanderbilt, Hawaii. What I would do, I was thinking about this yesterday, was I would take the top uh, G5 team from the previous year's college football playoffs. And so whichever G5 team makes the New Year Six or in Cincinnati's case last year, the playoff, they would get to host a game against whoever, um, whichever team finished number five in last season's college football playoff rankings. And I know these schedules are set like years and years and years in advance. So what we do is we say, this is a week zero game and this is um, going to be an exempt game. So you get 13 games that year. If you finish fifth in the college football playoff rankings previous year, or if you're the top uh, group of five team, you have an exemption to play 13 games and let's like go into the season with a bang. It's an, that's an exciting thing. You get to see a G five team. You know, we don't talk enough G five. We don't see the G five in prime time a lot, you know, and if you don't like that, you could do the top two G five teams from last year. Um, I don't, I don't mind that either. I just think there's something we need to do to not go into the season with such a whimper. Like, I think it was 2018, maybe. We had Miami and Florida in week zero. That was the big week zero game. And there was like two a handful of games, and that was one of them. So I don't know. I just don't like going in to the season with such a whimper like we did yesterday. Yeah, I like that. That's a, that's a phenomenal idea. I mean, I think from a macro level, I agree with you in the sense of like this upcoming Saturday is going to be absolutely phenomenal. And it's almost like we don't know how to address that week zero even exists because it's like, there are games. It's, it's back. You have things to watch. Okay. Your headliners, Nebraska Northwestern, but like there's, there's things to watch and, and you're right. Like we're sitting here leading our show talking about Nebraska Northwestern and assuredly that is the worst game we will lead our show talking about for the entire season. And so I, I'm totally with you. I think it's a great idea to have something like that set. And if you do make a tradition out of it, then those teams know as soon as the final college football playoff rankings come out, okay, we zero, we're hosting whoever it is. And so I'm with you. I think, Something needs to be done to to have some excitement because there wasn't. It was great to have it back, but it it, it I almost like don't respect it as far as college football weeks go. You don't no. you don't you're not excited uh, in the same way that you obviously are the other the other weeks. And and next week is such an awesome week because it's Labor Day weekend. Like if you ask anybody, next week is the kickoff. Next weekend is the kickoff of college football season. Right. You know right. I don't. 
like you said, I don't think anybody really even views this as the kickoff. It's like, it's here. We're going to dabble in it, but it's not real. So let's do something to make it real. The other thing I wouldn't mind doing on that day too is like a really big FCS game, you know? So it's like, you know, a top five FCS matchup. Like I, I, I would like to use week zero to maybe get a chance to see teams that we don't showcase a lot, but are really good. And that's why I like the idea of including last year's top G5 team. Um, and, you know, throw in, I do want to, I would like to uh, have them play a major power because I think that excites people more. Like if you said you can see uh, Cincinnati versus Fresno State, or Cincinnati versus Texas A&M. I think most people would rather see the latter. Um, but, you know, I just, I like the idea of let's let's do something unique. Let's showcase a team, some teams that we don't see a whole lot of, and let's make these good games, not Vanderbilt Hawaii at whatever. I don't even know time zones anymore because I'm <laughs> so confused between Central and Eastern now, and I'm about to move back to Eastern. Yeah. But whatever time that kicks off Eastern time, it's late. Um, yeah, it's too late. It's too late. Yeah. So I don't know. I just... Next weekend's so awesome. This weekend is just such a little... It's a limp. You limp into the season. And I want to go into the season with a bang. I like it. I like your style. So in the uh, vein of a potential G5... Week zero opener. Should we get into G5 uh, preview? Let's do it. Let's do our G5 preview. So as we've done all preview season, we're going to do our last year on the G5. few things you should know that happened last season. We'll start off with number one, first and foremost, Cincinnati became the first ever G5 team to make the college ball playoff. They finished the regular season undefeated and were given the number four seed and a trip to Dallas to take on Alabama, who they lost to, but an unbelievable year for Cincinnati and the G5. Uh, They were not the only G5 team to have an unbelievable year. In the Sun Belt, Louisiana lost week one to Texas before winning 13 straight games to end the year as the Raging Cajuns won the Sun Belt. And and I didn't realize their bowl, their reward for that season was playing Marshall in, the, in I think it was the New Orleans Bowl. Mm. <laughs> that seems like just not a, not a fitting end to that season that they had. No, no. But nevertheless, uh, 13 and one and Billy Napier, of course, parlayed that into the head coaching job at Florida. And then in Conference USA, maybe the story of the year from a player perspective, Bailey Zappi set the all-time record in all of college football, all of college football history for most passing yards in a season at Western Kentucky. But in Conference USA, it was not the Hilltoppers that took down the title. That would be the UTSA Roadrunners who won their first ever conference championship in their history. Uh an unbelievable year for the Roadrunners and probably the most fun nickname in all of college football. Uh, when you were when you were down in Waco, Brian, like what was the chatter about UTSA? Because I feel like they at that point they hadn't even been in existence for ten years. Yeah, it wasn't really something that uh, you talked about. I mean, other than I believe when I was there, Larry Coker was their head coach, which is obviously very interesting historically in college football. And 
uh, a quarterback that I covered um, from Copper's Cove High School, which is where RG3 went, actually went and played quarterback there. And, you know, they were they were fine, not competitive. You know, it's like one of those things I, I, I feel like uh, we had one, you know, where I grew up, it was a D3, but almost like um, people who don't go to like the, the main schools you want to get recruited to all kind of filter into one location. Like it, it felt in that vibe, right? Obviously there's a lot of Texas schools that players would rather be recruited to. And I, I, I mean, I think that remains the case obviously, um, but no, not really something that was, that was talked about. So very fun. I mean, they were incredibly fun to watch last year. Um, and, and they've, they've got the coach locked up for a while. So that's exciting for them. And um, yeah, definitely a program on the rise. I, th- I certainly think that's not debatable. No doubt. First season, 2011, and head coach Jeff Trailer, uh, a Texas high school football guy who will almost certainly, I know he did sign an extension with them, so I think he'll be around for a little bit longer, but don't be surprised at all to see him as somebody who who quickly moves up the ranks. And I, I would say it kind of even uh, inspired Texas Tech with their hire. I think that's fair to say. I think that's totally fair to say. And Joey McGuire is... People are excited about Texas Tech for the first time in a while. And every time you read about them, it's cited as he just has amazing relationships all over Texas. And like that's going to guide them. And I know that it's a, a quantity over quality, but their early recruiting rankings are incredible indication of those the benefits of those relationships. So I think you're you're absolutely right in that thought process. All right. So let's move on to four downs. First down here, Brian, for the first time in a long time, there's not really a clear cut uh, G5, New Year's Six, or even playoff contender. You know, going into last season, it was Cincinnati. Hands down, it was playoff or bust for them. They were the school. But this year, not quite the case. So my question for you is, who do you think it should be? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I agree with everything you've said so far, um, and and that obviously last year we we knew about it. And I know we're going to get into a, a bit of a more higher level conversation as to part two of this. Um, so I, I know I think I'm probably in the minority here, but for that very reason, I actually think it almost defaults to Cincinnati a bit, right? Like like to me, they've okay, they've proven that they can reach the the G five peak, right. And making the playoff last year and they lost a lot. And, and uh, spoiler alert, second down is going to be me asking you what you think a reasonable expectation is for them. But I think it's something where they've, they've done it and nobody else has done it. And it might be a thing where I'm just a little scared to go out on a limb more than anything, but they should be right there. They lost a lot, but they're still incredibly talented. And, and Luke Fickle's done a great job kind of building that program. And so uh, the AAC is going to be competitive this year, but for me, I, I totally agree with you that it, there's no clear-cut winner. So in trying to find where should I go for a pick, I'm just going to go to the program that has done something no other program has done. And and it's not foolproof by any means, and they may not even win their own conference, but I think that's as good a reason as any if you're if you're looking for a program that, that, that could make a statement like that. So I, I don't know. Am I, am I way off base in that – They've done it, so maybe they deserve a little bit of benefit of the doubt that other programs don't have. No, I think I think they certainly deserve some benefit of the doubt. I mean, they are G five Alabama. 
mm-hmm. basically, right? I mean, nobody has done at the G5 level quite what Luke Fickle has done with just the consistency of that program there year after year. And then going to, like you said, kind of the, the mountaintop and now even beyond that transitioning into the big 12. So I, I think you're absolutely right to give them the benefit of the doubt and or if not right, I mean, at least it's a very defensible, defensible take. Uh, and you, you know, you're not alone in SP plus they're ranked 16th. The next highest G five team is Houston at 32. So 16 spots higher than the next closest team in the G five next closest team in their conference. So you're certainly not alone and it's, it's defensible. And I guess that will can kind of just get us into the Cincinnati conversation sure, yeah, a little yeah. bit is to me, in the G5, the margins are so much smaller, I feel like, than in the Power Five where, you know, some teams like Alabama, Georgia, Oklahoma, uh, in the, you know, at least compared to the Big 12, can build these massive advantages that last over periods of time. But in the G5, everything's a little bit tighter. And Cincinnati had the third most players drafted last April. They had nine players drafted more than Alabama, more than Ohio state, more than Notre Dame, more than Oklahoma. Like, I mean, that's crazy, man. Nine players drafted. And I just feel like when you lose that much talent, including a top five pick and your starting quarterback as well, you're just bound to have some type of regression. So, you know, I wouldn't put it past them at all to go 10 and two. I wouldn't put it past them at all to win the AAC, but they are bound to have some type of regression year over year because there are a lot of other good teams in that league and really hungry teams in that league too. So, you know, by no means do I think they're going to fall off a cliff and go seven and five or something along those lines. But they just lost so much talent. And when you lose that much talent, unless you are Alabama, I just don't know how you don't, you don't regress to some extent. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Um, And it also is, uh, they will regress. And I think it's important what you mentioned about other teams being hungry too, because it's not, last year was a unique case where it very much looked and felt even going into the year that Cincinnati was head and shoulders above the rest of the G5. And uh, I mean, I guess it's the, the crux here. The kind of the basis of the whole question is like, okay, this year it's not that case. And really other than last year, it hasn't been so definitively the case. And so I, I, I think it's fair that eventually a, a, another program is going to kind of take that leap forward. So I guess to, to turn the question on you, who would you say going into this year is, is your, your G5 kind of team that you think might make that leap? I really like two teams. I I like Houston a whole lot, and I like Fresno State a whole lot. And I like Houston a little bit more um, just because they have more continuity with Dana Holgerson and, you know, having kind of building that program up compared to at Fresno State. They return so much uh, from a talent perspective, in, in um, including Jay Kaner at quarterback, but they do lose head coach Kalen DeBoer to Washington. They replace him with Jeff Tedford, who was there previously. So it's like almost there's still like some sense of continuity there, but it's still not quite the same. So because of that, I do lean towards Houston. Um, Houston, 
was really good last year. They came on really strong uh, towards the end of the season. And, you know, I think Dana, I think Dana Holgerson has that program kind of where he wants to have them right now. And Clayton Toon is outstanding at quarterback. They, that offense is humming and they always, Houston is always a program that is among the most talented in the G5. And I think like when you talk about hunger, that's a program that famously said, we hi- we fire coaches for going eight and four, right? So talk about hunger. I-, I feel like all the stars are aligning where Cincinnati can take just a slight step back and Houston can step up and take that mantle from them. And they have a really easy schedule in conference this year. They don't have to play UCF or Cincinnati in the regular season. And now uh, um, the American eliminated their division. So it's just... It's just uh, top two in the conference make it. And with that schedule, I think they're going to the conference championship game for sure. I like it. I like it. I'm interested. You know, Jeff Tepper's such an interesting use case. And like, uh, this is a football and basketball when the time comes podcast. And like, obviously, Sean Miller returning to Xavier. Like, it's kind of an interesting thing we're seeing across both sports. This like return to where you came from. I think there's a who else? Dad Mata. Is he back where he used to be? Uh, he's, he's at, uh, um, no, he's at Butler. Oh, he's at Butler. He's, he's at, at Butler. Butler. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, what an interesting thing, like, like not to go on a tangent, but like, do you think that's like realistically can be viewed as continuity when, when a coach leaves and comes back and is like generally familiar with the situation? I think this situation's a little different than Sean. I mean, Sean Miller was gone for over 10 yeah, years. Yeah, right? yeah, Jeff right. Tedford was the coach immediately before Kalen DeBoer. Right, right. So I think to some extent it can be, but I don't think like, I think it's great to have somebody like him for a short term stop gap. And I feel like that's what they're, I mean, he had to retire previously for, for medical issues. So I'd imagine this is not like a long-term endeavor with Jeff Tedford, but I, I think there is some, I think you can still consider it some continuity there. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. All right. I'll, I'll move to third down. I, I guess we kind of grouped the first two together with, with Cincinnati in there and, and they may come up again. Um, you mentioned it uh, off the top cause we had some week zero action, but third down for me to ask you is, is what to make of the mountain West. I mean, it's, it's a bit of a slow start, I guess you would say, but a, an interesting conference nevertheless from, from top to bottom, I would say. So from a from a kind of holistic perspective, how do you see that conference this year? So I think the the bottom of the conference is going to be really weak, like I talked about. Wyoming, I don't like. New Mexico, I don't like. Uh, Hawaii, I don't like. UNLV, we'll see. They might be a little bit better. And Nevada, I really don't like. There's four teams that I think are going to be really, really, really bad. But on the flip side, at the top... I don't know if anybody has as much upside as Fresno State. We were just talking about them, but you know they almost took down Oregon in Week One last year. Uh, they beat. They did beat UCL. Was it UCLA? Who they beat? That sounds right. Yeah, yeah. They, they did beat UCLA, and Jay Kaner like could barely walk when they won that game. Um, so. I think Fresno State has so much upside. They play USC early in the season. I think that game, I mean, just pound the over on that right now. Uh, I, I will tell you that much right now. I'm, I'm on that over almost no matter what it what it is. Because I think this offense is just going to be 
absolutely outstanding. Uh, the On the preseason Mountain West team, Jay Kaner is the quarterback on the all-conference team. Uh, one of their receivers, Jalen Cropper, is on the is on the all-conference team. And they're running back Jordan Mims. So quarterback, running back, receiver, all on the, the preseason all-conference first team. So it's an <laughs> unbelievable bad. offense. Uh, I'm, I'm super excited about them. I'm also really excited about Air Force. Air Force is a team uh, that kind of quietly went 10 and three last year. And, uh, you know, they run the triple, they, they run it really effectively. They do what they do really effectively. And that's another team I think can make a lot of noise. And, you know, the team that we haven't even mentioned in all of this is Boise. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I kind of feel like, you know, Hank Bachmeyer still their starting quarterback. (laughs) I, I, yeah, I knew that and it surprises me every time it hits me. Yeah. Like it's been a a long time, but you know, I think they're in a really interesting spot, Brian, because Andy Avalos is going into year two, uh, taking over from Brian Harson, And it's like, they've been through so many coaches over the years and they've kind of seemed to maintain that level, but they also have seemed to taken a little bit of a step down like ever since Peterson left and mm-hmm. I just wonder I think this is a big turning point year where it's like okay does Boise have an inherent advantage as a program right now or are they more of a coach program and it's not so easy for anybody to just walk in there and I think we're going to find out a lot about Boise as a program right now because you know I don't when I think about this league, I don't just view it as Boise's a lock anymore. You know, it's been a long time since we talked about Boise as even like a potential BCS playoff crasher either. So I, I don't know. I think, do you, do you still view them that way? How do you view Boise? No, I don't. I don't. I mean, think about this. I mere moments ago called Cincinnati really the only G5 team we've ever viewed leaps and bounds above. And I do think there was a time where like, it was like Boise's the G5 team. Like, like they are, you, you expected them to be competitive, um, uh, you know, at, back when, when uh, they beat, it was Oklahoma in that, in that famous Fiesta Bowl. Um, so uh, I, I don't, I don't think I view them that way anymore, but they, they have continued to get really good players and been like, some level of consistent, right? It's not like the bottom dropped out, like you said, but I, I, I don't view them like that. So I think it is, it is going to be interesting. And, um, you know, they, they always seem to have some, some decent games on schedule. I think they open Saturday at, at Oregon state. Like that's a, that's a good measuring stick game and Oregon state's a program on the rise. I mean, I think we'll, like you said, we're going to get to find out really, really soon where they're at. Um, but, but no, you don't, any longer look at this conference and you're like, okay, it's Boise is the expectation and who else is going to, who else could challenge them. Now it's, it's, it's a little bit more of a few teams consistently at the top. And another team we didn't even talk about either is San Diego state. Like they, I feel like they have been the team really right there. I feel like it's been Boise, Fresno and San Diego state as the main teams, maybe over the last five to six years who are really duking it out year after year for that title. And, you know, they always have a good defense and they open their brand new stadium this year on the, uh, you know, right. It's not on campus, but it's right near campus. And it's something that, that I know that fan base is super excited about. So 
I don't know. I think there's a lot of teams in that conference. The Mountain West is a very interesting conference to me because it's like, I feel like, and you tell me if I'm wrong, you're a little more familiar with the Mac than I am, but I feel like in the Mac, everybody is kind of the same to some extent. Like there's a few like real bottom feeders, but every, anybody can kind of jump up in the Mac on any given year, you know, and have their turn as, as the top dog. And I feel like in the mountain West there, there's some real haves and have nots. I mean, we saw with, uh, with Norvell going leaving Nevada and going to Colorado State, Colorado State is a have in the conference, and Nevada is a have not. He chose to leave Nevada and to go to another school in the conference. So I feel like there's some real differentiation here. And you know, with, with the Mountain West too, I really like the league because if you look at it, it's one of the few leagues like Boise State, for example. They are the main team of the state of Idaho right? Like they, they are the main team and that is not so common in the G5, but even like Colorado state, for example, has a really, it's a big school. It has a big fan base. Colorado is, you know, bigger within the state, but there is a a real Colorado state presence there, but same thing with Wyoming. Um, you know, San Diego state has a big fan base. Obviously it's not USC or anything along those lines. I, I just feel like there's some teams with some real identities in this conference. Um, and for the most part, it has stayed fairly stable like the Mac has, even in the midst of all this conference realignment craziness. So I, I think it's a, it's one of my favorite leagues and I think it's, it's going to be a really interesting year to watch. I think there's probably four teams. I think Boise, Fresno, Air Force, San Diego State could all potentially win the league. My money is on on Fresno State, and my second choice would be Air Force. I like it. I like where it is at. By the way, adding to the conversation, as I'm realizing these things in real time, Brady Hoke, second stint at San Diego State. Right That's now. right. So there you go. For sure. <laughs> yeah, and with great success is exactly the second right. time around, too. Yeah. All right, Brian. Fourth down, and I think this is a good one. I think this is going to be a fun one, a little bit more of a macro level here. So once the two major teams from the American leave, Cincinnati and Houston, make their way to the Big 12, uh, and then BYU, of course, joins them, but as an independent, will the Sun Belt become the best G5 league? For me, the answer is yes, but I'm curious what you see. Yeah, yeah. I so I I thought this through a bit, and it, it's interesting coming off the that conversation because like uh, the Mountain West did pop in my head. I think the race is is a little chaotic this year, uh, but I think top to bottom, I do like the Sun Belt in terms of consistency. I think as far as this conversation goes, they're the league to beat. I mean, I think there's more teams that you've seen be highly competitive on a national level when you're talking about G5s in the, in this conference, right? Like App State has been relevant on a national level. Uh, Louisiana obviously recently has been relevant on a national level. Marshall, I think like they, they there's a lot of programs in this league that have really made a name for themselves and, and with consistency. Um, and I mean, this is, this is maybe a stretch, but like, I, I like James Madison long-term to become a player in the conference too. Like they're new this year, but like they, that's, that's a really well-run program uh, in, in Harrisonburg, Virginia. So yeah, I, I like the Sun Belt. I, I do think once those AAC teams leave, um, it'll be the best G5 league. I'm interested to hear, hear why you, why you're a yes as well. 
yeah, I'm I'm with you, and it's because I feel like the Sun Belt has just found a really nice niche with these teams. Where right? I talked about the Mountain West, they have a lot of like the main team in the state. The Sun Belt doesn't have that. They have right. the secondary team in second or even tertiary team, but they're in football crazy areas, right? They're in areas where football matters and they've taken a ton of these schools that had so much success at the FCS or at the time when they were in at the one double a level app state, you know, former national champion, Georgia Southern, former national champion, JMU, former national champion. Marshall was at that level, um, you know, way, way back, but these are programs that have tradition that have passion around the fan bases. Um, just long, you know, football has mattered at these particular places and the play on the field has gotten really good in the past several years too, where you, I mean, outside of Cincinnati, I would have put Louisiana up against anybody last year. That team was good as good as anybody in the G5 outside of Cincinnati last year. I put them up against anybody. Uh, App State in the past couple years has been as consistent a program as anybody. So I just think based on the footprint, the area that they're in, the access to talent, and I mean, even in this, even in this day and age where everything is more local with with how connected we are still the number one indicator of where somebody will go to college is, is it within a hundred miles of where they live? And, you know, I I don't know if you are, okay, let me ask you if you're a three-star, if you're a three-star prospect from Atlanta and which is probably Atlanta and Houston, probably the two most talent rich football areas in the country at the moment, would you rather go and play at Georgia State or would you rather go and play at Boston College if those yeah. are the two teams you're deciding between? Yeah, yeah, I'm going, I'm I'm staying home. I think it's a solid point. So that's why I like the Sun Belt. I think they've just done a great job of carving out that that niche, that niche in the in the South. And um, you know, like you said, I like JMU too. They I think winning winning leads to winning. And once you've experienced it, they have that, like I was talking about, that hunger, right? You have to have that hunger in the G5 to win. You have to invest. And I think a good chunk of these programs, especially on the east side of that division, have that hunger and are going to invest. Yeah, yeah. I think that's great. I, I love the, the thinking about the, the go staying within a hundred miles is such a fascinating thing. I, I saw something on Twitter that was like, um, if you could only recruit players from your zip code, like, uh, who, how would that look at college football? Somebody was like the Georgia tech versus Houston national championship is going to be absolutely mesmerizing. So it's true. And I think, I think you're right. I think more often than not in, in your hypothetical, those people are staying home. So yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's the, it's good. It's set up for long-term success too, that conference. And so, um, yeah, no, it, it, it's an exciting time for sure. So as a follow-up to that, Brian, you know, the AAC is losing their big two in Houston and Cincinnati. There's been a lot of change at the, at the G5 level, but there's also a clear differentiation now between the ACC, the Big 12, the Pac-12, and the SEC and the Big 10. The SEC and Big 10 are, are on their own tier now, basically. Moving forward in the next five to 10 years, how much differentiation do you think there'll be between the G5 and those kind of those three conferences that are not the SEC and the Big 12? Like, I think they're still 
clearly better conferences, but you know, do you think there's more differentiation between the G5 and the rest of the P5 or those three P5 schools and the power two, if you will? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think it's the former. Like, I think, I I think we're going to see more and more of those, like those three stars choosing Georgia state or Georgia Southern over Boston college. Right. And then over time, if that continues to happen, they're going to even out more on the playing field. Right. The reason you would choose Boston college now is like, in theory, you're closer to playing for national championships. Right. Like, but I don't think, I think there is a big difference and there's going to continue to be a big difference with the, the power too. Right. And so then it's like, what does the ACC offer me that the Sun Belt can't offer me? And and I think that that is going to become more realistic. And so I think it's a worthwhile conversation to have because as those Power Two conferences continue to grow and and have more resources and put more teams in the playoff, it's it, it's not going to mean as much to to play in one of the other P fives. And so I do think there is something to the difference between those two lessening over the next decade yeah i man there's so many things there's so many angles and i and i hope you're right on that because again in the i think the best interest of capital c capital f college football would be to maintain engagement at all levels of the sport that you want app state fans to be engaged just like you want alabama fans to be engaged because all of it together is what makes it special um so I think like in the best interest of college football, I kind of hope that's true. And I hope that we do, you know, anybody who knows me knows that for the longest time, I'm anti-expansion when it comes to college football postseason. But I am at the point where I think I actually want a 12-team playoff if there's some caveat about conference the six highest rated conference champions or whatever number you want to throw out, because I think we need to maintain involvement from, from the group of five level, because I think it's a much worse sport. If the G five is just completely off on an Island of its own, like some people suggest or even want it to be. Um, So I think if the G five can stick a little closer to those kind of middle three, I I think that's actually a, a good thing. And I hope that happens. Yeah, I think that's well said. All right, so we're going to do our bets a little bit different today since we're at the end of the the offseason, kind of started the season. Uh, figured it would be a good time to actually revisit our preseason future bets. And, you know, we talked <laughs> a lot. Of which there are many. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one or two. Maybe one, two, three, something like that. I don't know. Three, 17. Perfect. (laughs) Could be be 17. (laughs) But we talked a lot this offseason about, you know, what we were thinking, what we were liking. It's time to really come down with, you know, where did you put your money? Did you put your money where your mouth was, Brian? So I think I might have a few more than you. So I'll let you get started with number one. All right. Yeah. I'm, I'm in big on, on one in particular. uh, And we did, we talked about it in our ACC preview show um but my biggest full season future bet is georgia tech under three and a half wins uh i have uh like five or six units riding on this and uh you know admittedly 
you know, a couple of beers were flowing and some some good conversation. And I I looked at the schedule, which starts with Clemson uh, a, a week from Monday uh, on Labor Day Monday, uh, and and doesn't get a ton easier from there. Uh, Ole Miss in the non-con, UCF in the non-con. They end at Georgia. I don't. I cannot. There's zero way I could mental gymnastics myself to four wins for them. And I've looked at it a hundred times. I, I don't see three wins for them. I I feel extremely confident about this one. Um, And so my money is where my mouth is, where my mouth is uh, on the yellow jackets under three and a half. I'm in on that too. I love it. You said everything there is to say. So this was a G5 preview show. So I'm going to start off with the G5. And a game that I, uh, a bet that I love is Air Force to win 10 or more games plus 220 on FanDuel. I put a unit on that. Uh, They were the best rushing team in the nation last year. They run the triple option and they do it extraordinarily effectively. They went, uh, they went, including the bowl game, went 10 and three last year. Um, They are just a team, I think, that is. They're just a consistent team that is poised to come back and do it again. They have seven true home games, one uh, neutral site game with with Army. So I think that's a huge advantage uh, having those having those all those home games. And their road schedule is not as ne- the the road schedule that they had is a nice road schedule. They do go to uh, to San Diego State, I believe, to end the season. Uh, that's a tough game, but hopefully we're already at uh we're already at 10 and 1 going into that game and we can we can breathe easy. So for you know, off-season bets, future bets, I like to do, you know, I, I like to get the plus odds. I don't like to, like, there's a lot out there, like lay minus 180. You know, you're tying up your money for the entire season. Let's let's make it count. Let's uh let's get some good odds. So Air Force, uh, plus 220, 10 or more wins. I like it. I've just got one more for you, and then you can rattle off yours. Um, I, I, and speaking of plus odds, um, I did, I put some money down on Penn State. I got it under eight. I think it was eight and a half earlier, so that's not great, but it was, is plus one twenty five. Um, listen, uh, bit of a leap of faith here. I, I don't think it's entirely unrealistic for Penn State to be two and two entering October. They, I know you mentioned that like uh, we're just we're not really talking about them having to go to Auburn. They open at Purdue, two tough games in the first three. Um, it's it, it's not going to be easy. I, I just I I don't. Believe in in Sean Clifford. I, I really don't feel I I feel extremely confident that he's not going to all of a sudden put something together and have some magical type season. Um, and obviously they go to Michigan. Ohio State at home is tough. Michigan State is tough. Um, I think it might be a bit of a bumpy road for them, and I like getting plus odds there. So I'm I'm on the Penn State under. I said it at the Big Ten preview. I agree. I I didn't end up putting money down on it because a friend of ours is very high on Penn State this yeah. season yeah. it seems uh I don't agree but it was enough to scare me off a bit I will be I'll tell you this much though I am definitely uh Purdue plus three plus three and a half on love Thursday it. night love in. lock it up love right it. now love I'm going in on that didn't go full season but I'm going in on Purdue uh Thursday night and that Auburn game I will be on that big time that's like yep. I'm just waiting for that one so I I I'm not doing it myself, but I I see where you're coming from. All right. 
You want me to rattle off a few? I got 16 more to go. So uh, <laughs> I'll, it, I'll try to make it snappy. All right. <laughs> We'll go to the Big Ten. Uh, in the Big Ten, I like Minnesota to win the Big Ten West at plus 425. Uh, uh, we When we did the Big Ten preview, we, funny enough, I talked about Nebraska and liking their odds. <laughs> I promise, hand on my heart, whatever you want me to do, I, I switched this up about a week ago. I decided not to go in on Nebraska at all. I like the little bit higher odds on Minnesota. Really like their defense. We kind of talked about them being a half team. Brian doesn't agree with me on this, I know, but... I like the Tanner Morgan, uh, Kirk Soraka reunion. I like their running game. I, I don't, I'm sick of people just handing the, the, the division to Wisconsin. I think they're, they're more vulnerable than people are thinking. So give me Minnesota at uh, plus 425 on DraftKings. In the Big 12, Kansas State to win the conference. Plus twelve hundred on DraftKings. You know this is a this is a long shot, but I we talked a lot about in that Big Twelve episode. I just like what they can do with their quarterback run game. I think their defense is going to be salty, salty, salty. I I like Kansas State a lot. It's probably not going to hit, but at twelve to one, um, I think it's worth a gamble. So give me Kansas State there in the Pac twelve. Again, we talked about this on the Pac twelve episode, but I love Utah this year. Uh, when there's turnover, when there's turmoil. Give me the continuity of Kyle Whittingham at Utah. So I have Utah, 10 or more wins, plus 155 on FanDuel. That's a unit and a half. I have Utah to make the playoff, plus 600 on FanDuel, half a unit. And then my one and only Heisman bet. And Brian, this is courtesy of you. Thank you very much for calling this out. Cam Rising, plus 8,000 on FanDuel. Uh, Actually, I think that should be no, yeah, plus eight thousand, so eighty to one. Yep. Uh, I got a quarter of a unit on that at eighty to one. Because look, like you said, if they go to the playoff, he's gonna be in the conversation. So, needless to say, I'm a big Utah guy right now, uh, loving the Utes. So those are my top ones in the Pac-12. Elsewhere in the conference, big on the Pac-12 right now. Arizona, under three and a half wins. I got this at three and a half, not two and a half, and I really like that. Their schedule is absolutely brutal. It was minus 130, um, but I did a unit there like that one. USC, under nine and a half wins. Minus 105 on BetMGM, unit there. Uh, you know, I just think it's it's inflated. Hype's too high. We've never seen a team like this. We don't know how they're going to react. I think that Fresno State game is going to be tough. Uh, I think the Utah game is going to be tough. I think there's a lot of tough games out there under on the Trojans. Colorado under three wins. Uh, this one was a tip to me by one of one of our good buddies. He said Colorado might not be favored in a game all year. They lost a ton. That program is not going in the right direction. Uh, under three wins, minus 134 on Bet Rivers. Headed to the SEC, Vanderbilt. Under half a conference win at plus 140. So juiced odds there. Again, looking for Vanderbilt uh, to go winless in the conference. They got that win at Hawaii. They don't have the talent in the SEC yet, and they have a tough schedule. They have Georgia, both Georgia and Alabama. If if they, if we lose this one, it's because they get one, and I can live with that. So at plus 140, really like that. Uh, Mississippi State. Over six and a half. This one is minus odds, uh, minus 130. I think Mississippi State, um, you know, Will Rogers, one of my favorite quarterbacks in college football. Mike Leach now going into year three, building that program, 
kind of to the point where he wants it on an offense. That offense is all about reps, all about just repetition, doing it over and over and over again. Uh, they've been together for a little bit now, so I, I like the offense to take another step. And this is the best defense that Mike Leach has ever had. So I, I really like that. And this is the last one in the SEC. Uh, not my last one overall. Don't worry. I still got a few more <laughs> that uh, I agonized over and debated and agonized. And I you know, said I liked it on the show. And then I backed down from it. And I said, you know what? Stick to your guns. Texas A&M under eight and a half plus 140. Brian, I, I get it. I get it. They recruit well. Okay. They got a lot of talent. But you know what I say? You know who runs the probably worst system for maximizing talent in all of college football? Jimbo Fisher. Nobody likes to play slower than Jimbo Fisher. It's like taking, to use a basketball equivalent, right? It's like having a bunch of five stars who can run and gun, get up and down the court, throw alley-oops to each other, and run the Princeton offense. So give me the under. Give me under eight and a half at plus 140. Look, I went through the I went through their history. They're an eight-win program since they've joined the SEC, even under Jimbo. And they had the one year in the COVID year that they were able to break through. But that West Division is so tough that until you can prove to me that you're above the fray, that you're above that four and four, five and three line. Sorry, I'm taking the plus 140. I'm taking the plus 140, and I think I'm going to be laughing to the bank on this one while everybody else around me is talking about, like, I don't understand what happened to Texas A&M. I thought they were going to the playoffs. So I stuck to my guns, Texas A&M, under eight and a half. Hey, I think it's just – it's like you said earlier with one of my bets. It's like the thought process is on point, and I just think at some point – the, the talent will break through and, and uh, listen, like I, I don't think they're going to win the, the, the division or anything like that. I, I can, I can see nine wins, but listen, I think it's a, I, I think it's a reasonable stance to take. Absolutely. You could see nine, you could see a 10, but you can also see eight. So yes, yes. I'm at, they're a little too easily. Yeah. I'm taking the plus odds. All right. We're going to finish this up with the G five talked about this one already, but Houston, over six and a half conference wins. Basically, you're betting on them to go seven and one or eight and zero oh in the conference. I love this bet. It's plus one sixty. It's one of my favorite bets of the season. Um, if you look at this conference schedule, I already said it. They don't have UCF. They don't have Cincinnati. Probably their toughest game of the year is going to be at SMU in November. There's not a whole lot else in conference to be scared of here. Really liking that for Houston over six and a half conference wins. You'll find that one on DraftKings at plus 160. Fresno State to win the Mountain West plus 250 on Bet Rivers for a unit. Oh yeah, by the way, that Houston one's two units. That That is my only two unit bet that I have made uh, this whole this whole offseason. So yeah, really liking that one. Fresno State, we already covered, but betting them to win the Mountain West. And then in the Sun Belt, I have two conference championship bets. I want to really go against Coastal this year. They um, they are 127th in returning production. They do bring back Grayson McCall at quarterback. Great quarterback. But I feel like you're going to have all these casual betters who are like, oh, we got Grayson McCall coming back. Of course they're going to be good. Well, they don't bring back anything else. So I really want to go against Coastal. And then I don't like Chase Bryce at quarterback for App. So I want to take some shots against those two. I want to see what I can get. So I got plus 550 on Marshall to win the Sun Belt. 
plus a thousand on Georgia State to win the Sun Belt. I did a unit on Marshall, half unit on Georgia State. So, uh, you know, taking a few shots against the couple of the name teams, and then with Louisiana, they they lost Billy Billy Napier. Um, they lost some talent off that team. So, I want to take a few shots in the Sun Belt. And then my last one, number seventeen, Nevada. Mm-hmm. Under four and a half wins. Got that at minus 135. They got a win yesterday. I don't think you're going to be able to find that bet anymore uh, since the season has started for them now. But uh, I, I would I would bet against Nevada this year. I, I do not like them at all. And that's all 17. That was easy, right? Not bad. Quick and easy. Got to reload the account for the for this upcoming Saturday, I guess, right? <laughs> yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. We'll, we'll have to see. Um, so, Brian... Imagine, yeah. yeah, with those seventeen bets I place, right? A lot of, lot of good odds there, plus odds. Yeah. Imagine that I do pretty well on them. I do so well, in fact, we have enough money to take this tailgate till May show on the road three times this year. Wow, wow. That's how we're gonna end the show today. Where are you going? Well, first of all, congrats to Cam Rising on his Heisman Trophy win. Uh, since we're able to afford it. Um, all right. So are we doing this snake draft style or are we just, we can agree on different ones. Cause I do think that it would adjust my approach. Uh, let's, let's do the snake draft. Okay. All right. So my first pick and it's, uh, I think there's more, f- uh, well, I'll just make the pick. I'm going to go to Bryant Denny in October for AM and Alabama. I was at AM at Alabama. I was at Alabama at AM last year. Electric atmosphere for the upset. Super cool to be in College Station. I think the rematch, I don't, I don't anticipate it being a close game. So maybe, maybe part of the reason we're able to afford this is Texas AM's under it. I don't know. Um, but I think it's with the Jimbo and Saban stuff. I just think it's gonna be kind of a fun atmosphere, October 8th. So my, my first pick, I'll go with the, the the Aggies and the Tide. Fair enough. I think that's the. I feel like that is the easy number. Yeah, one it was an pick. easy way out. It was an easy um, way out. Yeah, yeah. So I with my list here, you know, I think be some controversial ones, but uh, I, I'm just gonna kind of do my number one pick uh, based on the or where it occurs in the season, and that's Week One, Thursday night, kick off the season. I'm going to West Virginia at Pitt. Renewing the backyard brawl. We talked about it during one of the previews, but I just, I love the renewal of rivalries. There's so much passion around that game. They haven't met in forever. They truly, truly hate each other. The schools are not far away. And I think that is going to be just an absolutely insane environment. Again, I don't know how much, how great the game is going to be. I think there's some interesting question marks with both teams and could be some interesting things. Um, but this is a, a pure atmosphere pick for me. It's I want to be there when two rivals renew uh, renew their hatred. I like it. And you know what they always say: there's no college football atmosphere like Heinz Field. So <laughs> there you go. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like it. I like it. That's a good first pick. Um, I'm going to go later, a little bit later in the season. And uh, I, it's not fair because you put your picks in here and I'm stealing one of them, but I, I, I didn't see it before then. Uh, I, I like Clemson at Notre Dame in November. Uh, I think that's that's going to be a really fun game. I also think like I, I did think a, a little bit about this in terms of um, 
I've never seen a game at Notre Dame. It's like decently up there on the list of things that I want to do. And I know you've been to Brian Denny. I haven't. And that factored, factored into my first pick too. So yeah, I think it'd be really, really fun to watch a game at Notre Dame. I think they're potentially their most fun home game this year when Clemson visits. And uh, that, that's my second pick. They seem to always deliver when those two teams get together. Yeah. Not the ACC championship game in 2020, but all the regular season games have, have pretty much delivered. So I, that's kind of why I was liking that one as well. Um, that should be should be a fun one. All right, so I guess I'm just going to have to go the hipster route on all these. <laughs> that's fine. Uh, my second pick, I'm going to go, should come as no surprise to anybody, I want to go see my Utes. <laughs> I want to see him take on the USC Trojans, one of the most fascinating teams we've ever seen. This is a mid-October game. USC travels to Utah, um, potentially the two best teams in the conference, potentially one wildly underachieving team. I don't know. We'll find out. But I do want to see that that USC team in person this year, for sure, in, in Lincoln Riley's first year. And I want to be there uh, in Salt Lake City for their biggest game of the year. Because I think, I don't think that fan base gets enough credit for how invested they are in that program. No, I, yeah, I like that pick. I like that pick a lot. All right, I'll round it out. I, I I had a few options, and again, I'm going a little bit mainstream, which I don't love. But with my first pick, I I did A and M and Bama, and I'm I'm anticipating Bama getting some revenge in style, and it's a similar kind of theme for my last pick. Uh, I want to I want to go to the game in the shoe. Michigan at Ohio State, and I, and I think Ohio State's going to kick their ass, to be quite frank. Um, and I, I, something about those like those, those rivalry games, right, that that kind of define the season each year. And it's the only pick of mine where I've been to the stadium, um, but I think never for a Michigan game. And it's 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 pretty special when those two get together. I would like to see that as well, man. I went for a Maryland Ohio State game, and so I've been to I've been to my fair share of college football stadiums. Um, not usually when Maryland's playing, honestly. Usually, it's been kind of kind of been a neutral observer. Mm-hmm. But there's a certain um, hmm, meanness about the Ohio State fan base that just doesn't seem to to be elsewhere where I've traveled, where it's like they were so mad that they were only up like 21 nothing in the first quarter or whatever it was like <laughs> there was no happiness in that stadium like i think they would have had to win 100 to nothing for there to be any happiness in that stadium it's just a very very different vibe than a lot of the other kind of like legendary college of all places throughout this country they are I, I it feels like there is a singular focus on the game and only the game and it leads to this a meanness i would say it's it's just a meanness and it was cold everybody's yeah. cold and um it's like it's like it, it felt like a business trip. i felt like the stadium was there on a on a business trip they weren't there to have fun they were there to kick ass and go home yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that sort of echoes my experience too. I covered a Western Michigan game there and like, like it was just like, okay, this, we're going to just beat the heck out of this team. Like that's just, that's what this week is as we look ahead to next week. You know, I feel the same vibe. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. I will finish it off with my super hipster pick week four. And let me just preface this by saying, like, I was looking for storylines and things that I think will be interesting. So I want to go see the battle for the Iron Skillet. TCU (laughs) at SMU. 
a coach deal happening here. Uh, TCU took Sonny Dykes from SMU. I mean, the schools are rivals. They're they're close. TCU's in Fort Worth. SMU's in Dallas. Um, it's it is a real rivalry. I feel like that is usually when it's at SMU, like among their their biggest crowds of of the year. It's typically like a very rowdy, wild crowd. And so uh, I'm kind of thinking that it might be. Um, it might be Chris Beard going back to Texas Tech vibes to some extent. Mm, okay. So that's that's kind of what I had in mind when I picked this. I might be proven absolutely wrong, but unlike my co-host, I was trying to stay away from the uh, <laughs> from some of the classic games. I, sure, I, sure. I wanted to go a little off the board. So look, we have a couple different flavors here. So yeah. look, if you put this together for a six-game slate, I mean, I think we have a little bit of everything. Yeah. Got the big yeah. games, got the got the hipster games, got got it all. You're you're just over here trying to not have tailgate till May become college game day. We're trying to make our own niche, and I'm just following game day to whatever town they're going to be in. So that's the difference there. Oh man, <laughs> if we did that, we just like oh, we what would we get if we went to the game day location? It would be like a bathroom at the practice <laughs> facility. That's right. That's what right. We, do, yeah. we could stand behind the stage. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, if I hit. All, I don't know, maybe like 14 of 17, um, then maybe we'll be able to make it happen for next season. All right. And we'll have to do that in the preseason too. I mean, well, 80% clip, not not that hard, you know? Easy, easy. That That's my goal as always. Um, look, Brian, for the first time in a long time, I can say enjoy the games this week, everybody. We'll be back in some form or fashion midweek to do a little bit of a week one preview. And then we will be back next Sunday recapping all the action. Uh, check that. Not Sunday. We'll be recording Sunday. We'll be posting it Monday uh, to you know, recap all of that beautiful week one action. The real start to college football is finally here, Brian. Uh, I cannot wait. Finally. Finally, we did it. We got through the previews. We're ready to talk about actual games, and it's coming up. Well, that's our show. Until next time, keep the grill hot and the cooler cold. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.